Chapter One of In a North Country Village by M. E. Francis. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. In a North Country Village by M. E. Francis. Chapter One Thornley. We hear so much nowadays about the difficulties of agriculture the increasing number of unlet farms the exodus of the labourer the fall of prices and the growing spirit of radicalism that we have come to think the typical british rustic honest farmer john bull as much a product of a bygone age as his once familiar red waistcoat and top boots on the other hand the population of our large towns overflows their slums and alleys and rows of hideous ill-built houses start up on their outskirts and creep out further and further into the country until the fair green face of the land is seamed and disfigured by a very network of staring red brick when one unduly prolongs one's walks or drives in these populous districts one wonders sometimes if the prognostications of certain mournful prophets will be realised in our days and if our english villages with their rugged good-humoured inhabitants their snug homesteads their antiquated customs will be altogether swept away and yet within eight miles of one of our largest northern manufacturing towns on the main road between it and a fashionable watering-place there is a certain sleepy little hamlet that i know of which has remained unchanged to all intents and purposes for several hundred years and the inhabitants of which have lived there from generation to generation in undisturbed content there is but one rambling street if street it can be called where the houses are of all shapes and sizes and stand at irregular distances from each other and from the road if you chanced to stroll through thornley on a summer's noontide you would think the whole place was asleep not even a dog in sight except perhaps where here and there in a large farmyard one may be seen blinking in the sunshine outside his kennel with his muzzle between his outstretched paws even the hens cluck drowsily to their wandering broods and the cats sit sunning themselves on the snowy doorsteps watching with lazy upturned eyes the swallows that circle and twitter over their heads or the amorous pigeons that walk up and down on the tiled roofs opposite bowing and cooing and courting as the good folk here would call it with equal affectation and perseverance but the inhabitants of thornley are neither absent nor asleep twelve o'clock is dinner time and they are all busy at their mate there is a fine odour of bacon in the air just now bacon is the staff of life at thornley for breakfast in the morning a slab or two cold and sometimes raw between two thick slices of bread for bagging or lunch and again as often as not for dinner when the last of the sunday beef has been disposed of cooked before the fire in a deep dish and served up smoking and savoury with taters in the gravy here and there when you pass the more important dwelling of a gradely farmer you may smell irish stew or toad in the hole but bacon is the staple food of the cottagers and they certainly seem to thrive on it look at this child who suddenly comes toddling spoon in hand from the rear of this whitewashed cottage and pauses irresolute at the sight of a stranger there's legs for you 
as mrs poyser would say and see the bare arms with their delicious roundness and little soft rings at the wrist the chubby face sunburnt over its clear red and white all save the forehead which as the yellow curls are tossed aside shows snowy or no that is too lifeless a word to express it rather warmly delicately white like the outer petals of a blush rose is not this a good advertisement for thornley air and thornley bacon presently the school bell clangs out and in a moment the hamlet is alive no kiss of a fairy prince could dispel the very atmosphere of drowsiness so thoroughly and instantaneously as does the quavering jangling summons here be all the little boys and girls with rosy cheeks and flaxen curls and sparkling eyes and teeth like pearls tripping and skipping truly a hearty healthy merry little crew these thornley children of all ages from the mite above described who is scarcely two to the stalwart urchin in the sixth standard whose wrists have crept such a long way out of his jacket sleeves and whose feet in their hobnail shoes make such a terrible clatter over the cobblestones that is the boy who put a live eel into the schoolmistress's letter-box one morning nearly causing that short-sighted and long-suffering person to have a fit when she put in her hand in search of her correspondence tommy was at once detected and desired to hold out his hand which he did observing philosophically that he might as well be it for something as nothing the little girls run past dropping a hasty one-sided dip as they recognise an acquaintance their little round rosy faces are still shining from their recent scrub in the back kitchen their missus is that particular and the boys follow more slowly for they are whipping their tops as they go tops are in fashion this summer i perceive there is a fashion in village games which changes almost with the seasons last year the favourite playthings were miniature carts constructed very ingeniously out of old boxes the wheels being made of disused cotton reels and the year before they were still simpler consisting merely of round pieces of tin the lids of biscuit boxes chiefly with a hole in the middle through which a long piece of string was passed how gleefully the owners trundled and twirled them and what a hideous din they made and how unpleasant it was when one came whirling round you entangling itself in your petticoats and wrapping your shins there the last of the boys has gone a little brown-faced lad who rolls along with his hands in the pockets of his shirt corduroys kicking up the dust as he walks and shouting out contemptuous comments on the achievements of the top whippers human nature is the same all over the world i am inwardly convinced that this urchin is topless the children are no longer in sight but i can hear them still the boys shouting and cracking their whips the girls playing in the road outside the schoolhouse for the bell has not yet stopped and the last precious moments of liberty must be made the most of here we go round the mulberry bush the mulberry bush the mulberry bush here we go round the mulberry bush this fine and frosty morning they shout the ditty in little breathless gusts and even at this distance i can hear the shuffle of their dancing feet the bell is silent at last and there is a general rush and scamper then all is still not for long though 
the hour of repose is over and work begins again there is a pushing back of chairs and benches and a clatter of crockery within the houses a tramp of heavy footsteps a slouching past of burly forms without here comes mr waring one of the most important personages of thornleigh a gradely farmer as one can see at the first glance all our farmers are fat and the more prosperous they are the fatter they grow his broad shining rubicund face wreathes itself in smiles as he approaches good afternoon mrs francis fine weather that is we could do with a drop of rain though to swell the potatoes evidently mr waring's hay is carried it did rain a little this morning didn't it no but a spot or two and we are no more while the wind's in yon quarter well good day mr waring i'm glad to have seen you it's some time since we've met i began to be afraid your gout was troubling you again nay ma'am i've kept pretty clear o' that lately but it's been busy times with me i've been getting there in you see and burying my father and that he touches his huge mushroom-shaped chip hat and rolls on leaving me a little taken aback at the piece of information thus casually conveyed not indeed that i was surprised at the manner of the announcement for the thornley folks are not as a rule given to sentiment but i am rather astonished to hear that mr waring so recently possessed a papa he himself having been a grandfather for some time a few steps more bring one out into the open fields that stretch away brown and green or rather golden in the sunshine to their boundary of distant sand-hill the broad expanse has a certain beauty of its own in spite of its flatness and monotony on the right is a half-cut meadow the rich heavily scented swathes lying in the foreground while a little further off the mowing machine a new one brilliantly scarlet and blue flashes out against the young green of the wood the straw hat and bright-coloured shirt of the driver adding to the picturesque effect the sudden ejaculation oh behind the hedge on my left makes me start the termits are being earthed up and a stalwart labourer is in the act of turning his plough at the end of a drill his sunburnt face is uplifted for a moment in greeting the sleek sides of his elephantine horse gleam through the green thorn boughs there is a further bellow gee back accompanied by an oath or two merely used in the way of persuasion and then up the furrow they go patiently plodding the little village as i look back at it has suddenly become alive with rustic figures men returning to work women going in and out of their houses the loose sleeves of their print jackets or bed gowns rolled up high on their arms their short striped petticoats leaving their sturdy ankles exposed to view chickens are being fed pigs done for then there is the washing up and a thousand odd jobs to be seen to the blue smoke curls up merrily farmer waring was right it will not rain to-day here and there linen gleams out on hedges or clotheslines though most of the thrifty thornley housewives have got their wash out of the way before this these lines of white with the women's bedgowns and aprons and the yellow corn ricks which seem positively to blaze in the sunlight are vivid points of colour 
in a picture which is otherwise blended of sober hues. House walls, for the most part of time-worn stone, quarried from the delf yonder, roofs of thatch, or antique slabs of stone, lichen-grown and irregularly set. Here a cottage of brick, the red of which, however, is softened and mellowed by years. There one with walls washed over the ochre. Yonder stands the ivy-grown church, placidly keeping watch over a goodly company of gravestones. This village churchyard is to my thinking the epitome of tranquillity, and even beauty of a certain sober kind. It seems to me that the church casts its shadow lovingly across the graves, caressing each in turn. For all who lie there have in life been gathered to its embrace many and many a time. Flowers bloom above the sleepers in abundance, old-fashioned and simple as themselves. For the village children make a garden of this place, and many a wreath of wild flowers is woven by willing little fingers. Many a fern and flowering bulb is eagerly, and often inefficiently planted, to blossom and wither and be replaced. There is a special watering pot kept in the school porch, which they call the deading can, because it is reserved for watering the graves. The fresh voices of the little ones mingle with the music of the birds in the neighbouring woods, the sweep of scythes, the clatter of reaping and mowing machines, the slow heavy tread of sleek farm horses, all the thousand and one blithe sounds that gladden the heart of the rustic. One would think these rude forefathers of the hamlet must find it sweet to rest here, under the pure air of heaven, with the sun to shine on them, and the grasshoppers to chirp above them, and the little children to prattle near. When I first knew Thornley, the canon was alive. He lies yonder now, under the green sod on the spot, where he so often stood to greet his parishioners as they entered or left the church. No picture of the place would be complete without at least an outline of that familiar figure. Familiar indeed it was in Thornley. There was not a man, woman or child in the place in whom he did not interest himself, and whose every idiosyncrasy was not known to him. The people considered it quite a matter of course that he should concern himself as much with their affairs as with his own. Eh, they would say among themselves, Cannon will be glad tear as our bill's doing so nicely, or Cannon'll be fair broken-hearted when he gets to know Polly's goings-on. And it is only fair to say that these homely joys and sorrows were matters of the deepest moment to him. Nothing could be done in Thornley without the Cannon's intervention. Sometimes he would be seen teaching a young mother how to hold and dandle her first baby, and sometimes assisting an inexperienced nurse in making a sick-bed, now looking in on old Billy Prescott the keeper, who was recovering painfully from his last spree, and recommending fearlessly a hair of the dog that bit him to the nervous miserable man, a prescription be it said, which called forth a good deal of argument on the part of Billy's dame, and now sternly reprimanding a pair of youthful lovers, whom he caught billing and cooing under a hedge, when they should have been at Sunday school. This courting, or company-keeping, was a sore point with the canon, beginning as it usually did among lads and lasses who had only just left school, and being continued till they were quite old enough to know better. The canon left no stone unturned in his efforts to combat the amative proclivities of his flock, 
when the boys and girls had outgrown that stage in which he could settle the matter by boxing their ears or complaining to their parents or when there was no apparent reason for prolonging the wooing of more staid and well-to-do parties or even when a match between a certain couple was considered likely by the neighbours and advisable by himself he was uncompromising and insistent in advocating matrimony if saucing and remonstrating in private did not produce the desired result he would throw out a hint or two on sundays before the assembled congregation it's quite time for that couple i met walking in the woods last night to be married or if certain people who don't live a hundred miles away from here intend to be united before lent their bands must be called next sunday and strange to say in all probability the couple in question were shouted on the appointed day if they still hung back the canon generally let them know what he thought of them in the few words with which it was his custom to preface his ordinary sunday discourse when any members of his congregation stood in special need of pulling up those few words were terrible things especially as the speaker used occasionally to detect people in the act of complacently fitting the cap on the guilty parties whereupon he added another phrase or two to remind these censorious ones of their little weaknesses ending not infrequently with a sweeping condemnation of thornleigh and its ways in general woe betide any one else however who ventured in his presence to say a word against thornleigh or thornleigh folk the people liked him none the less for his occasional severity eh hasn't cannon been barging awful this morning they would ask of each other with a roll of the head and a jerk of the thumb over the shoulder but on the whole they preferred being barged at to being let alone on the same principle presumably as that which causes them and their kind to think nothing of a doctor who does not order nauseous draughts and, and bitter pills but if the canon was zealous and unflinching in the performance of his duty he knew how to temper justice with mercy many of the thornley folk will wipe their eyes as they tell you of that cold winter's night some years ago when poor owd gillifer jack was sent by his crony the blacksmith to fetch home a quantity of old iron bolts and chains which the latter had bought at a recent sale poor jack met a friend on the way and they had an odd jill a very odd jill together after which the friend went his way and jack went his which in some unaccountable manner led him into a ditch there the canon found him half suffocated and but partially sober and after much difficulty extricated him and set him on his legs but perceiving that jack was only just capable of carrying himself and could in no way have proceeded if encumbered with his burden the canon took up the load himself off they set the canon staggering and gasping for breath and jack staggering too and occasionally lurching against his companion so violently that the chains jingled again and at other times making such a swerve in the other direction that the canon thought he was going to take a header into the ditch once more in his anxiety he shifted his load to one shoulder and passing the other arm through jack's so as to enable him to maintain his equilibrium in some degree they proceeded onwards in a curious zigzag fashion until they came to the village here the canon was for taking leave of his protege but jack having now reached the affectionate stage of intoxication refused to part with him until he had seen him safe at home 
he poured forth indeed so many loving if somewhat indistinct remonstrances in so loud a key that presently the whole village assembled anxious to see what mac a drunken chap jack a jillifers had gotten out of and much surprised they were to find their own pastor in jack's tipsy embrace blushing with discomfiture and sorely exhausted by his evening's work jillifer jack was not the only member of the congregation who was anxious to act as escort on occasion to the good priest his cousin john rutherford ned's joe used to consider it his special privilege to see canon homer nights if the latter were returning by train from some distant expedition he would be sure to find joe waiting for him at the station and the servants at the hall or any of the neighbouring houses where he occasionally dined were quite accustomed to joe's vigorous thump at the back door and the subsequent announcement that he had come for canon it was however the sick and infirm of his flock who made the largest demands on the canon's time he would prescribe for them and comfort them listen to their long accounts of their symptoms inspect their bad legs and compassionate their sore fingers with untiring patience and kindness then as to his spiritual ministrations the persevering exhortations to some the quiet word in season to another the mere comfort of his presence in a death chamber where he would kneel for hours by the poor bedside clasping the inert hands in his while the fast glazing eyes were turned towards him until they could see no more one should hear the thornley folk tell of these things a poor girl lay dying of consumption once in the village a farm servant and a stranger there was no one belonging to her to attend to her or to mourn for her and her mistress though she did for her with a certain rough kindness was too busy to be much comfort to her the canon therefore considered it incumbent upon him to spend many hours of each day with her towards the end of her illness it was the poor creature's one joy to hear him pray beside her the lord's prayer pleased her best and to gratify her he repeated it dozens and dozens of times sometimes when she lay absolutely still with closed eyes he would fancy that the monotonous sound had sent her to sleep and try to creep away unperceived but she would stretch out a feeble hand and whisper a request for one more our father and then the canon would kneel and begin again a very litany until his voice was broken with fatigue and his dry tongue clove to his palate who knows i might want a prayer myself when i'm dying he said when someone remonstrated with him she passed away at last and was forgotten and it was not until the canon's own last illness came that this circumstance was recalled to the mind of his people for when it became patent that their beloved friend and master was to be taken from them the children knelt by scores about his door and in the adjoining church and their elders joined them by relays and prayed from morning till the late summer dusk all day long the sound of children's voices was wafted in through the open window of the room where the canon lay preparing for his great journey and curiously enough the prayer chosen by the little ones the music of which accompanied him to the very threshold of eternity was the our father end of chapter one